Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is a quick bonus episode which we thought we would do about the very last episode of Better Call Saul. So obviously there are spoilers. If you've not seen the last episode of Better Call Saul and are planning on doing it, then save this podcast up until you have done so. Cheese and Pickle Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like. I'm going to talk to them about some warm stuff that they like, a book or a TV show or a record or a film that they find comforting and they return to again and again whenever they need to feel better. Um, we'll have a natter about it and see if we can work out just what is so magical about it and what makes them want to keep going back to it. This time I'm joined again by the writer Will McLean and we're talking better calls all again. This is a bonus extra little chat uh, to go with the previous episode about Better Call Saul, which we recorded deliberately before the series had ended. But the show's finished now, there's been a finale, and we've seen it several times. These are our reactions to whether the show we loved finishing managed to satisfy us, which seems to be an almost impossible feat in box set television. Better Call Saul! Better Call Saul! Right, so we're back, uh, and now it's all finished. Hooray! Hooray! Yay! That's done. That, at last, we don't have to watch that program anymore. Oh, it's yeah, all the one that we committed to for seven years. What do we do now? What do we do now? I'm completely I, focusless. I genuinely don't know. I might retire. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I really have nothing else in my life. Uh, yeah, apart from my wife and child, they're 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 quite important. Yeah, but, yeah. You've, no, you've noticed them again now. It's finished. Um, no, I thought it was really good. I think I was excited that. When we talked um, for the, the podcast and said, what do you think is going to happen? That we both sort of got the vibe right. I think the vibe's all we got right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I, 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 our I, only I, prediction that we made that was correct was the vibe. Yeah, the vibe I, 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 was good. But I think you know, it, was, it, it managed to be a complete surprise and yet exactly what you were sort of hoping for. Which exactly is, is, is the best thing you could hope for, really, in any work of fiction. It's like, oh, it's done something that I expected, but in a different way, or something <laughs> unexpected in a way that I wanted. Uh, and it sort of did both, really. Um, the, what I wasn't, I didn't, which I kicked myself for not seeing, was that they'd end in a courtroom. 
Obviously, yeah. obviously, they'd end in a courtroom. I mean, that's how you end things. Especially, it's, it's about a lawyer. That's how legal things end. They end in a massive courtroom. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's literally how these things work. In, did you enjoy and admire as a technical thing? And I noticed this on the second viewing that it ends as a reflection of episode one. I did enjoy that, though the penny didn't drop until the final thing when we saw Jimmy and Kim share a cigarette. Yeah, but it they really, said... Only at that point was I then forced to realise what I'd been watching. <laughs> but I think as a, as just as a piece of technical writing, to admire something which ends so formally, almost like a piece of bark, like it's mathematical, <laughs> but it ended with all these sort of formal demonstrations, almost like stunt writing of saying, what we're going to do is we'll do a rule of three, we'll have three flashbacks, we'll do a thing where they, it mirrors the courtroom so you see who the, who he was at the beginning as a lawyer then we'll see how he is at the end as a lawyer and we'll end with the two people we started off with <laughs> and they'll have a cigarette and it'll all be formal and he went how did I not how did that not feel mechanical <laughs> you know as a, as a huge fan of, of Beckett I was really there was, I, I'm not sure the Beckett thing was deliberate I don't think it was but I really like stripped down where you've just got two characters in a thing yeah uh, where you've got an excuse to have that and there was so much of that so i was i was fully on board for all of that so you had that with walter white and you had it with chuck and uh, perhaps most gratifyingly you had it with kim yeah. at the end where you have these two people who, and mike you know, opens and mike. mike yeah, yeah of course it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a rule of three flashbacks and as someone pointed out it's three dead people it's three mm. ghosts. Yes. And I think the writers said at the end, they went, oh my God, we've written Christmas Carol. And you kind of go, <laughs> I don't think they've noticed that he will be visited to talk about regret by three ghosts. Mm. Um, but it was formal. What I was talking to someone at the weekend, a very young person. I went to a party and there were some young people there. Uh, and they were asking about writing. And one of them said, um, I, I like writing poetry. And I like writing How sketches. do you do it, granddad? Yeah, I exactly. Said. He said, back in the day, when, back in the mm. day when there was television and you got paid for it. Yeah. Um, well, I get I, my black and gold underwood house and I... <laughs> Well, I, I, said, well, I said, if you want to write some TikToks or whatever it is they yeah. do. Um, but I, I said, the really funny thing, they said they really like writing short stuff. And I said, the great thing is if you can write short stuff, you can write long stuff. And people don't believe that. And I think that's one of the great tragedies of us losing the sketch show as a, as a, as a training ground for writers. As a proving ground. Yeah, absolutely. Watch something like Better Call Saul, which is the greatest example of television drama. And watch this final episode, which might be the greatest piece of writing they've done and the greatest piece of drama. And it is mm. a series of sketches. It's a <laughs> It's not only a series of sketches, it is a series of sketches acted by sketch show actors and people who came from comedy. And it is a series of, of two-handers. Yes. Um, and I remember saying this to Tom Neenan when we were doing Jurassic Park, to Rufus Jones when we were doing Rage of the Lost Ark. Mm. Look at these great blockbusting bits of cinema and television, and they're all two-handers in a jeep, in a room, you in a cell. You couldn't get more sitcom than Walter White and Saul Goodman in a cell together underneath... Yes. Ed to the disappearer's hoover shop. Yeah, it's porridge. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, it's porridge, it's red dwarf, it's porridge. It's just these two people who <laughs> actually dislike each other quite a lot, but who fate has thrown together, just annoying each other for seven minutes. And it was brilliant. Actually, actually it was a series of conversations with gr grumpy men, usually, or sometimes <laughs> yes. grump, grumpy Kim. And um, it basically, they were Ernie and Bert sketches. Hey, Bert, would you like a time machine? It literally is the most no, annoying. And the time machine <laughs> I, is a Possible, you idiot. You are not talking about a time machine, which is both a real and theoretical impossibility. You are talking about regrets. So if you want to ask about regrets, just ask about regrets and leave all this time traveling nonsense out of it. Okay, regrets then. But what was great about this is it held on to that 
its essence of understanding how simple comedy bones and simple mm. comedy setups can be used to tell enormous drama. And that's the thing it learned from Breaking Bad, and I think it's the thing they've perfected in this series. It, also, because we'd spent so much time with these characters, we were able to read those scenes in a way that we hadn't yeah. done. Had So Mike... When uh, Saul says, Jimmy says, have you got any regrets? Mike says, yes, I've got two highly specific regrets that occur at these two junctures in my life. Because Mike is a man who knows himself. March 17th, 1984. Day I took my first bribe. And then I'd go forward. There's some people I'd like to check on in five or ten years. Make sure they're doing okay. Yeah. And then when you get Saul and Walter White, they both lie. <laughs> when they're yeah. forced to say about their regrets, Walter looks down at the watch that Jesse gave him. He doesn't. I think at this point doesn't know whether Jesse's alive or dead, but he still regrets everything he's done to Jesse. But he doesn't answer the question. He just refers to his usual grief with grey matter technologies. And but- Saul doesn't answer in any way. How could you never tell me about this? We could have done something with this. Wrongful termination. Intellectual property theft, uh, patent fraud. I mean, I could have sunk my teeth into this. You'd have been the last lawyer I'd have gone to. There were three themes that ran through it, and I thought it was incredibly a sign of how rich and brilliantly written this is. There are three themes. One, money. He's carrying that money. The first thing you see <laughs> is some money stuck on a bush, uh, and 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 he's carrying that money like a like a donkey across the desert. And I'd forgotten that scene and mm. how much it's about. And he says, "What's his regret?" And his regret is, "I wish I'd gamed the system and started out a billionaire." I figure, got a million left from building the time machine, so I take my half and just stick it into Berkshire. And then I come back here and. I'm a billionaire. The American dream is you're supposed to be able to get somewhere. And his, yes. his version of it is a pragmatist version. I wish I could cheat a shortcut, which is always his theme. I wish I'd started off rich. And then when it gets to, to Walter White, you think a very different character. And he says, what's his big regret? He says, I wish I'd started out rich. And they've got this sort of excuse that says everything bad they've done has been justified by the fact they didn't start out rich. Why do you end up with a, with a dead lawyer on your floor? Because he's rich and I'm not. And it's just that brilliant bitterness, the excuse there. So you've got these, these, the, that money's the theme. And then regret is the theme. And this then also time. always this also comes back to that bravura speech, which I think was written by Thomas Schnauss. Can I just say as well before we go any further that on the first podcast, which I listened to again, mm. uh, I went, "Oh, the writers are good." Didn't name any of the writers, which is terrible because you and I are both writers. So Vince Gilligan, Peter Gould, <laughs> Thomas Schnauss, Jennifer Hutchison. Bradley Paul, Gordon Smith, Jonathan Glatzer, Anne Cherkis, Heather Marion, Alison Tatlock, and Ariel Levine. They are the writers of Better Call Saul. <laughs> well, let, let's so, be honest, they're, they're Better Call Saul's programme associates. They're not they technically writers. <laughs> Everyone's a programme associate now. But I just want to say, because they, it was, yeah. that's, it, that's only 11 people, and they did a, such an amazing thing. Um, but uh, I've lost my thread a bit now. Yeah, sorry, that Bravura speech that Howard Hamlin has. Yeah. where he takes Jimmy and Kim apart. And it does come back to money, and it does come back to their grievances are so petty 
and he says to them, you know, like, oh, Howard has so much and we have so little. You know, it's unfair, it's unfair. And they're, they're children's reasons. Yeah. And it's it's very much what comes back to Walter White and Saul. It's like, oh, you know, life was bad to us, so, you know, we've had no choice but to have a meth empire. And, it, and it's the speech that he gives to Jeff when he tempts Jeff the cabbie over to the dark side. Jeff is mm. going to do a good thing and go to the law and say the bad man is here. Yes. And Saul goes... Do you look through the glass at the people on the other side who've got everything? Do you want to be one of them? Right, I'll make you do a crime. And also, that's exactly what he says Walter White did to him. Tempted him over to the dark side and took him... And then you go, well, how are you better or worse than him? You're all the same. You just say, there's a shortcut. Do you want a shortcut? <laughs> the other thing as well is that in that Walter White speech, when the two of them are together, Walter says a thing that would stay with you for the rest of your life which they're very good at. Um, it's the same as, as when Howard says to Kim, you have a piece missing. And it's that, yeah. that you would remember, even if Howard had survived that evening and walked away, you would, you would remember that little damaging piece of shrapnel for the rest of your life. <laughs> and, and Walter says to Saul, oh, when he hears his slip and fall story, he goes, oh, so you were always like this. And it's the yeah. last thing we hear Walter say. So you were always like this. It's an awful thing to say to someone. And also, uh, what a terrific thing to say when you've got, you're doing the finale episode of something and you're, you're time slipping and you're moving backwards mm. and forwards, but you want to say, oh, you were always like this. That story has been dropped in from a past period of history to drop in for you the viewer to go so what's next and then the question is will jimmy always be like this and then you get a brilliant thing where you know then know that sets up brilliant so that's a declared well what we've got to watch next is will he always be like this and there's a fantastic thing that happens i didn't see coming at all which is you've had bob odenkirk has played three characters so far Mm. And he said, beautifully, he said, I'm a sketch actor. I always wanted to do this. The point is I can't really do one character. My job is to do lots of characters. Terrific point that hadn't occurred to me. So he is Jimmy McGill, mm-hmm. Slip and Jimmy. He is Saul Goodman. And he is Gene Takovich. And then at the end, as he walks towards the courtroom in that slick, shiny suit, he's, <laughs> ja- he's James McGill. He's yeah. a fourth character. And you get to watch this brilliant thing. And again, as a piece of technical writing, it's like coldly, precisely brilliant, but he doesn't feel it, which is he will give you the same speech twice. I was kneeling in front of an open grave with a gun pointed at my head. That was my introduction to Walter White. Mm. One by Saul Goodman. From that moment on, there hasn't been a minute that I wasn't afraid. Yeah. I worked for him. I made a lot of money. That's not why I did it. I did it because I knew what he would do to me if I refused. And one by by James McGill, a new character who, who strangely, isn't the same. I was kneeling in front of an open grave with a gun pointed at my head. That was my introduction to Walter White. I was terrified. But not for long. That night, I saw opportunity. I shot it. Big money. And I grabbed it, and I held it tight. And for the next 16 months, my every waking moment was spent building Walter White's drug empire. Hold on, Mr. Goodman. Stop right there. I absolutely loved that. I, the, it was my favourite thing was that 
he starts with the shtick again. Yeah. And it sounds so insincere, especially when, like, Hank's widow is sitting there. This thing that you've enjoyed all the way through, he's displaying his superpower, he's firing webs into the air, he's doing the thing he can do, the thing mm. you've always enjoyed, and suddenly you go, oh, this isn't very nice. People get hurt. <laughs> and suddenly it's not fun watching him do it. And when he starts asking for ice cream and you go, oh, God, you're a prick. <laughs> and to do that, when you've enjoyed every time he's done this, and also on a series that opened with him defending some people who'd fucked ahead. You go, the whole point of this series is to watch him defend the indefensible. And he does it in front of a widow and you go, ah, you're going to have to stop doing this. Yes. And in a minute, you'll hear Walter White say, so you've always been like this. And then you're saying, well, what, what will feel satisfying? Why will I be satisfied at the end of this episode? And the answer is, if quietly he proves he isn't always going to be like this. You did it all for money. No matter what they do with you now, no matter where they put you or for how long, it will never be enough. What's enormously satisfying about that episode as well is that he gets out of it. He wriggles out of it. He says it on the, the phone call, I, I, this will end with me on top like always. Yeah. And that's key, that he formulates a way that he will be. Yeah. He'll walk away from this wreckage and he could be completely fine. And I don't... Th- I, I like the fact that he was able to beat the system one last time and then walk it back. I thought that was perfect. It, really... reminded, it reminded me a bit of Groundhog Day, that brilliant thing, which again is about time and regret and can you do the same thing over and over again, where he, he, he gets the girl and then goes, ah, oh, but I did it the wrong way, and then goes back and becomes a better person. It's that story. It's going, if you had the ability, if you had this superpower to be able to talk people into doing really dodgy things in a, in a very precious environment in a courtroom do you have the ability to talk people out of trouble you watch him do it and it reminded me of the structure you get from heist movies where you get to watch the heist go off perfectly with this is what we're going to do yes and you get to see it go off perfectly enjoy it and then you get to see it go the other way and it's it i think they're very um literate with their noir and their crime plotting and i thought that's borrowed from heist movies you get to see it see the heist go one way and then go another way and it's so satisfying I also like the the fact that he left Saul behind and then he's on his way to prison and the other prisoners identify him as Saul Goodman yeah. and they kind of cheer him. It's initially, it's made clear that he's not going to the best prison um, and you think, oh, where's this going to go? And it turns out Saul Goodman would almost certainly thrive in that environment and yeah. I think that's what, that's what happens at the end. You well, see him it. in it's, the kitchen, you see him fist bumping these guys, the, they the, call him Saul. The amazing thing as well, that, that everything that echoed and was neat didn't feel cheesy, but you get to see him working in a bakery in black and white, and you're like, <laughs> oh, you're already in prison, so you've lost nothing. So it managed to do a brilliant thing of, of saying, at the same time, he's punished, as he has to be punished, he has to take his punishment, that's the dignified thing, and then managed to say to you as an audience, don't worry, he's okay. Yeah. This is, this is, to be honest, this is better than him hiding. But he's still doing the same job. It was fantastic. He's still in Cinnabon, but in prison. So, glory, sir. I had no idea how he'd contrived to see Kim again as well, and that sort of was, was entirely plausible and worked. And oh, again, did, did, you, did you applaud when she went, Turns out my New Mexico bar card doesn't have an expiration date. And I went, <laughs> oh, got writer's room, round of applause. Someone dropped that. How quickly Yay. can you make it possible? Don't care. Yes. Brilliant. No, I don't care. Don't care by that point. I want to see these two characters in the room together. Hi, Jimmy. Hi. Hi. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The other thing I was going to say is that between us recording this, the first one and this one, I just because you, you go back and you look at it and you you think about what you've seen, which is, is another key thing about this show being a sort of comfort blanket, is it stays with you. Yeah. Um, I noticed two things I hadn't noticed. One is that um, Saul ends up becoming the thing they'd set Howard up as, i.e. a man who seeks solace in sex workers and a man who, who's a drug addict. You know that Saul has a Xanax guy, you yeah. know that he's got a lot of prescription drugs and he's just seeing sex workers and it's all a bit seedy and horrible. That's the fate he they assign to Howard and it's what, yeah. it's what Jimmy and Saul end up doing. And the other thing I hadn't noticed, and this couldn't be more obvious, is the plan against Howard... Uh, they call it D-Day, and it ends... D-Day, the historical thing, you know, it, it terminates at Omaha Beach. Uh, oh. And it's yeah. these things, they're all in there. They've, it's it's not thrown together, this stuff. They really have worked and worked, and, and it's, it was great seeing the payoff that it had earned. Jimmy, if you don't like where you're heading, there's no shame in going back and changing your path. What we're talking about here is something ending in a satisfying way, not in a spectacular way, not in an explosive way, not in a cheap way. No one blew anything up. There was no machine gun for the Nazis this time. <laughs> and it was completely within that key. And I, I said to you when we did the last podcast, I said to you while we were watching this, my fear about it, as someone who doesn't is not that bothered by gangster drama, mm. I was really worried that the finale would be one of those things that satisfies everyone by bringing back a mean gangster from the dead and yeah. Mallow comes back and there's a big gunfight. Yeah. And I thought, do you know what? That's the last thing I want to see. Weirdly, it should be the thing you want to see. You want to see something spectacular. And then you realised you'd had all those bits in the middle of the story. No one dies for the last eight episodes. This is a climax of a gangster crime thing where you go, who's going to die? The Game of Thrones question. And they went, we thought we wouldn't kill anyone at all. This is and offset think- by the other end of the seesaw, though, which is the front end of the season in which someone died every week. <laughs> we literally <laughs> lost a main character every seven days. But it was about the idea of saying we trust the audience to not need, um, not, not that's cheap or anything, but to not need big, noisy drama, but to lean into the drama and to watch everyone really closely and at the end of this not go oh did it end with just them looking at each other and having a cigarette but instead of that to go oh my god it ended with them looking at each other and having a cigarette that's incredibly classy the most important thing to me art that i like 
films, books, and everything else. I, I really like that ability to read or watch it or listen to it, you know, whatever it is, and it to be different every time you look at it. So yeah. you've changed in relation to it. It hasn't changed, but you have. And the, the most obvious example, and the one I always use, is Psycho. When you watch Psycho, the first time I saw Psycho, I was 16, and I was like, this is just horrible. It's really unpleasant. <laughs> and I saw it in my 20s, and I was like, I was able to appreciate it as a kind of horror film. And the things that annoyed me when I was 16, I now thought were technically great, like losing the protagonist halfway through yeah, yeah. and all the rest of it. And then I saw it again, about 10 years ago and it was so funny i never realized how hilarious it is and i really like that you can watch that same thing three times so i on the end of i thought better call saul ended on a reasonably optimistic note yeah with the two of them together there's that little glowing cigarette end which implies that the spark is still there and that you know they're they're rekindling something even if it's not what they were they now and she's seen in him an ability to do a, be a good man. Yes. He's, he's yeah. done a good thing. He's mm. finally used his powers for good. Yeah. And, that's, and he's finally not been the disappointing, repetitive guy that Chuck thought he was yeah. and that Walt thought he was and that maybe even Mike thought he was. So I walked away from that thinking, and I also thought, because she's got this indefinite expiry card that's magic, <laughs> uh, she's, she's going to come back. She's going to come back and see him. You know, you get that thing in your head where you go, they're, they're going to work on bringing his sentence down. He's going he's gonna to do pro bono work for, for the yeah. prisoners. It's going to be lovely. They're going to have a lovely time. And then I watched it again ahead of doing this and it just was sad you know it was just really sad it's these two people you couldn't quite believe that they're saying goodbye to each other forever that she's going to walk away and and you know I, i read an interview with i forget which one of the writers it was but they said that at the end where he does the finger guns yeah yeah um they filmed her doing them back um, oh. and they didn't use it. And Ray, Ray Seahorn, we're going to pronounce her name correctly. Ray Seahorn. Ray Seahorn. Ray, 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 Ray Seahorn. My daughter's middle name is Ray. Um, and you still said it wrong. still said it wrong. It spells differently. I've said appara- apparently it's Michael McKeon as well. So honestly, oh. all bets are off. It's yeah. Boob, boob oven cook, who knows of anybody so, it was be a satisfying ending to the story of so good man <laughs> um, so, they do it to screw um, you up anyway Ray you I, see I, so she does they cut the finger guns out of, yeah of, and I and they said they didn't want it to say like oh the con is still on you know like yeah. it would, you'd read it only one way so you'd read it as Kim going I'll see you in a couple of weeks yeah. with a fake moustache and a laundry basket and it'll be yeah. like you know it's like, and you'll be saying goodbye to this place and you think well there's no <laughs> it's just keep it ambiguous keep it ambiguous and so it you says wa- something lovely and actually it's, yeah. a, it's a brilliant bit of proof and people I think when people think about writing they don't understand how much if writing as uh, Jim Phil Smith said this once that you write everything three times you write it then you go and film it and then you edit it and those are three yes. completely separate writing processes I and, couldn't agree more actually and what's happened there is in the edit they've taken out a thing that was written down and you go on the page finger guns finger guns is the perfect ending on the screen finger guns hopeful he's saying gee do finger guns back I don't need to see her respond I just need to know that he's still in there he mm. still wants to do some jokes with her. They're yeah. still, again, as you said, there's still a spark between them. It's a sparky thing to do. Not getting a reply is heartbreaking, but it doesn't make me go that that she didn't respond inside or something. Yeah. But it makes it much more subtle. And that, you'd think, would be a major change in the edit that would change the meaning of a scene. But it doesn't. It just goes for a deeper meaning. And they yeah. found that in the edit, not in the script. 
And I love that. I love that, that, that it stays ambiguous. I'm sure the next time I see it, it'll be different again. And that's, that's perfect. I, you couldn't ask for more, really. I was struck by what seems to be the theme of the whole series, which hit me when we were talking last time. I said, what do you think is going to happen? You and I think he's going to go to prison. And I went, oh, God, yes, of course he can go to prison. And realising that this whole thing is building towards a moment where there are consequences. Mm. So you've watched all the fun of crime. We talked about this. The crime is colourful. The yes, life outside crime yes. is black and white. But there are consequences because when people do crime within the world we share with them, it hurts people. That's the message of Breaking Bad. That's the message of Critical Bre- Soul. Uh, that's why it's amoral for someone to try and get these people off when they've been bad people. Um, and it's about consequences. And I just got to the end and thought, this has been the perfect thing to watch now because it's about a man being a grown-up and dealing with consequences. And the one thing that's driven all of us mad during lockdown and with the government and Trump and everything has been watching these people go, ah, I could do what I like, and there's no consequences. <laughs> no comeuppance. I just want the fantasy of a man with an adult understanding of consequences. <laughs> and I think that's secretly what I've been waiting for and, and why the finale was so enjoyable. Is you went, yes. This is when the world works, when makes, someone faces consequences. It makes no sense if other people realise that for him. I know, yeah, yeah. It's great that he owns it at the end and goes, yeah, yeah. I, de- I deserve 86 years in prison. I assisted oh. in murder. I assisted yeah. in, you know, I, I didn't, I just turned a blind eye to these things. In a way, I, I'm sort of as bad, you know, and it's, it's you, having someone en- admit that is brilliant. <laughs> did you enjoy that? He clearly thought, I don't deserve 190 years in prison. <laughs> I love the niceties of that. And that's the, the legal process of that, of going, well, how bad was I? Well, I was 86 years bad. I wasn't seven years back. Yeah, exactly. And I think he was, you know, when he's released in 2087, uh, he'll be, you know, he can come out and address these things. You know, there'll well, be a got, book tour, there'll be a, well, a, I think, a, a lecture I'll, circuit. It's, it's all there. They're setting up the fact that he and Chuck were building a time machine, aren't they? Yeah, I thought with, so. With Walter, who's a scientist, it's all fine. Yeah, they exactly. Think, so basically <laughs> this is it. Time escape, time, time, time yes. Ta- the, 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 I, new, I, yeah. I, I couldn't have asked for more. And I think that... that the thing I didn't, the things I didn't see coming, and the things I did see coming were um, incredibly satisfying. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't see it that he would redeem himself. I thought Jimmy was gone. I said yeah, that yeah. last time. I thought that was that was all done. And the fact that he wasn't, and at just one point he thought that you know what, if if these things are worth anything to me, if my relationship with, with Kim is worth anything, then it's almost like that moment of realising that other people have feelings going, you know, yeah. like I've, I've ruined so many lives and it is time to stop. If he hadn't walked into my office that day, Walter White would have been dead or behind bars within a month. And Agent Schrader and Agent Gomez and a whole lot of other people would still be alive. It was beautiful. Just a wonderful thing to watch. And I, I mm. thought as well, there was a real satisfaction as well in the payoff being down to Carol Burnett. There never was a nippy, was there? <laughs> yes. uh, as in a woman who redefined sketch comedy. So it's yet another person from comedy. And you've got Michael McKeon. You've got every, I've made a list of everyone in this who's come from comedy. They've all right. come from sitcom. <laughs> and, come, and the person who, who, who spells the downfall for sketch comedy's Bob Odenkirk is sketch comedy's Carol Burnett. And I loved that. It was about how ordinary people, how when you do this stuff, you swagger through life being Scarface, that mm. you hurt ordinary people and those ordinary little people. And an old lady, the person he's always been really good to. <laughs> that's the person 
person who goes, no, you've been a bad person. Go and take your nasty medicine. What did Jeff tell you? Oh, he didn't tell me anything. Ask Jeeves told me. I typed in con man and Albuquerque. And up you popped. Big as day. What are you doing, Marion? What do you think I'm doing? I'm calling the police. Yes. I love that it wasn't It wasn't down to Gus Fring or any of the big, glamorous Scarface guys. It was down to a little old lady. Every bit of this had just classy writing and thinking behind it. Yeah. And at the end of it, you couldn't say you weren't satisfied. I'm really glad everyone's been really happy with it. The, the critical response has been lovely. Me too. I know I, there's been a, more than one review I've read where they've just said, look, I don't need to hear from this universe again, <laughs> which is, yeah. I think it's fear. I think people go, you know, do not push your luck. You yeah. made the best thing ever. And then you somehow made the ne- an even better thing. Please stop now. You know, well, it's like, well, it's- and I understand that impulse because it is, if you've achieved perfection twice against yeah. Against everything, against what Walter White calls the second law of thermodynamics. You know, then yeah, yeah. If, you've, if you've done that twice, then please, just now let's see what else you can do. I, well, what, yeah. what a wonderful thing to say as well. In the, the age, well, we've been talking about this as an example of something because I've been confessed to you that I have trouble with open ended narrative and the endlessness of box sets. And usually they end with people being disappointed because there's no way that you can pay off. Every, what everyone enjoys is the journey. They don't enjoy the finish. So when you get to the end of Lost or you get to the end of Battlestar Galactica or Game of Thrones, everyone goes, oh, a bit of, oh, bit of a damp, damp squib. And you want to say, well, no, because you were enjoying it carrying on. You don't want it to stop. That's the point. Yeah. It's like sort of going, well, I'm afraid we finished football and it turns out that <laughs> Liverpool are the best and it stopped. It'll never happen again. That's not a feeling anyone wants to have. But I think the mark of these being so well written and so well thought out is they transcend that. And this feels like it did justify open-ended novelistic storytelling of that size because it finished properly the word novelistic is key as well because we're actually able to talk about these people as if they are real people that we know yeah which is is an amazing thing what an achievement each of these characters made not only by the writers and directors uh, uh, editors and showrunners and then also by the actors a huge collaborative process to make a series of uh, again, remarkably, because we went back to revisit them all in this last episode, not many characters. This is a big show mm. about maybe 10 people, a dozen yeah. people, yeah. maybe with a core of four. Um, it's just wonderful to see something so disciplined and for it to feel like it's finished and as you said, to feel satisfied and to go, this is this is ended properly. And it's a, I think it's not only a high bar, but I think it's going to be pretty unbeatable and for anyone to try and match it. So don't do it again. Okay. But with good behavior, who knows? Um, As a final coder, uh, where would you go in your time machine? Someone said this, one of the great things, especially on Twitter, because on Twitter the important thing is to say that everything's screwed. Mm. And genuinely, (laughs) no, no one ever says... That, there's that brilliant thought experiment saying if you if you go back in time where would you go and the answer is you wouldn't want to go anywhere because the sanitation's terrible and, and most people be treated badly by the people yeah. of that time you, you can't you, drink the water and yeah, it's just horrible yeah. every, everyone's a religious nutter and it's oh, it's awful and be, <laughs> being, being anything other than the king is awful so yeah you, you go, you, you'd immediately be put in prison um, I think I'd go back and um, watch uh, Rod Hull 
Very good. Live good on answer. stage. I don't good know. I, I saw a very funny clip of Rod Hull this week. I think that would be funny. Same wouldn't it? Diving well, into the freezer. If you could see that, imagine being on the yeah. crew for that. Uh, what would With you? I'm I'm amazed that this podcast uh, hasn't topped the charts in the states as well with all yeah. our, our references to Blake Seven and Rod Hull. Um, Where would you go? I, I I well I didn't think I had an answer to this, but I do. I oh. was uh, I was eating my lunch this week and I wanted a, a bag of crisps. I pulled a bag of what I thought were cheese and onion out, and they were salt mm. and vinegar. Because uh, they were Jesus. in the green packet. And I was oh, like, God. Oh. so I think I'd go back to when all that nonsense started. Because I think that's when the rot set in, frankly. Well, they, well, they wouldn't standardise the colours of crisp packets. Well, everyone just went, I'll tell you what, no one cares about this. We do care. It's really important. Yeah. Okay. And it was just pulling at that thread. I think it's had dire. I think it's it's echoed in eternity, Joel. I think it's that's st- where st- it went stuff wrong. as. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. If we can't have standardised crisp packet colours... Well, but then who are we as a species? I mean, you're right. yeah, yeah. It's disgusting. Failing think... that, dinosaurs, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, uh, that's obviously where, where you were meant to be left by the finale of uh, Batical Soul. So I think it's done its work. It's done its Thank magic. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk about this. I've really enjoyed it. And it just reminded me how much of it has sunk in. Yeah, I think I mean, we, the, the only answer now is to go back and start watching it again because I think this one you can watch again. Absolutely. Because it's a big, fat book and it's lovely. Hooray! Hooray! Hooray, Ben Corsell. Thank Hooray. you, Will. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Joel. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.